0: I see churches favor women. I'm Marian Wright, and this is Favorite Friends, the podcast that shares the beautiful, hopeful, and encouraging stories of Christian women. I think it goes without saying that this hosting gig has allowed me to bring you some incredibly powerful stories, but this one, this one really moved me on a personal level. This episode, I am going to introduce you to Jess King. Jess and her husband Mike and their son Reuben recently moved to Brisbane from Townsville. They're based in our Brisbane City IC Church campus. I first met Jess by FaceTime when I actually interviewed her for our favourite magazine, and I had the absolute privilege of writing her story about her journey through infertility. She was so transparent and wise and I was just dying to ask her a bit more about what she'd walked through. And so this episode this is a big one and I think it warrants a bit of a heads up. We talk about anxiety and depression and it does get a bit dark and deep in places. Jess and I spoke about how her experience with depression and performance anxiety in particular impacted her marriage and her relationship with church. And of course, we touched on her path to becoming pregnant. It's a pretty raw story, it's real, and it's insanely powerful. Here is Jess King. Well, welcome to Favourite Friends. Thank you. This is it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> this is it's very glamorous, I must say. Is it actually? It's like, is it just as bogus as you imagined?
0: We basically sit on the couch and drink tea. It's awesome. I love it. Yeah. It's the best way to do it. Um, I wanted to start by getting you and introduce yourself because mm. you're new to our IC Church family. Yes. Yeah. So tell us a bit about you. Yeah. If you want to tell us how old you are, you can. <laughs> if you don't, that's fine.
1: Um, tell us about your family, like your work life. Yeah, um, yeah. Hey, go for it. Okay, so I am Jess King, and yeah, we. Um, I'm a Townsville girl, born and raised, sort of moved around different places through my childhood, but not too much, so mainly Townsville, and um, yeah, I've been a Christian essentially my whole life, raised in church, um, raised in ministry, and, you know, went through tough times like any person or any kid would have, but was always fairly close to the Lord and found my way back to him constantly. So met and married Mike. Um, we met in Bible college, which is affectionately nicknamed Bridal College in Townsville and probably a lot of other places. It's,
0: yeah, it's called cool that here as well. <laughs> because,
1: I mean, it is a great way to meet your mate, I suppose. But, yeah, we met there and I knew fairly soon that I wanted to marry him. So I was only 18 when I when we sort of first started to get to know each other. Um, engaged at 19, married at 20. Child bride. So, yeah. Another one. It was just, I mean, I look back on photos and I think I know now why people were saying, are you sure you guys want to get married? You're so young. We were very young, but very in love and very adamant that, you know, God had put us together and we didn't want to waste any time. So we, um, yeah, we got married and we've always sort of done ministry together, you know, and, and done life together. Um, and we've had, you know, just the same circles, like we've always enjoyed the same things and, and really partnered together in everything through our whole marriage. So we've really felt like that's almost a, a gifting or a grace on our lives, you know, to, that we do stuff together. Like God puts us in situations, um, together, which is really nice because we enjoy each other's company. So it helps, um, But yeah, then this opportunity came to move to Brisbane, you know, we were just faithfully serving in our church in Townsville and doing whatever God had for us to do, like whatever was asked of us or put in front of us, we just said yes wholeheartedly and trusted the Lord. But we've had this like longing for so many years to spread our wings and we knew that we weren't. Going to stay forever in Townsville. Well, we just knew that. But we didn't know where next, you know, and we didn't want to just move and make it up as we went along. Like, we wanted to wait for that release from the Lord. Um, and we knew that we weren't released from Townsville. Like, whatever needed to happen there, we needed to stay. So we were just, yeah, heads down, just serving and being available. And then this opportunity came. Um, to be part of IC Church and then soon after to move to Brisbane and and start a new life here. And it was an easy yes for us, you know, because we'd been thinking about it for so long and never expected it to be Brisbane. Like never, never, never. Um, But, yeah, we just – we knew, okay, God, you're in this because we've brought it to you. We've been talking about it, praying about it, all of the – you know conditions or the (laughs) the things that we needed to happen in order to move just all happened and fell into place so we knew okay this is definitely the Lord so we packed up our little family and um, yeah came to Brisbane and just have hit the ground running and it's it's really been an incredible um, transition and yeah it's um we've just met some amazing people here, like we knew we would you know we knew that God would plan us in a strong house full of quality people that would support us and and run with us and people we could do life with so we've we've been so honestly so blessed um, and before like you know business and work the work side of things um, in Townsville, Mike and I decided that we were going to launch a business together um doing um um, design work and graphic design web design um helping small businesses start basically um just to get off the ground so I'd been doing that for yeah many years just helping friends and family build their websites or think of a business name or create a logo or something you know I just sort of been helping them out and then someone said to us you need to make this official and turn it into a business and, and um, you know, find a niche market. Like small business startups, oftentimes don't know where to go. They don't know how to get these services and they often don't have the money to pay for it either or very limited funds. So, um, yeah, we, we kind of went, all right, well, I'll do all the design side of things. Mike can do all the technical side of things, you know, setting up all the back-end things and, and helping with, systems and operations of the business and getting it going and um so we launched that um sort of maybe partway through last year and yeah we've just been focusing on getting that going here in Brisbane really as well as me being a stay-at-home mum full-time for Reuben. um yeah and we have a son I don't know if I mentioned that <laughs> how old is he <laughs> Reuben is four Um, he's four going on 14 Um, he is just yeah the most amazing blessing in our life like he just he's our little miracle child so yeah he's he does life with us he's like our little buddy and um, he's very fun to do life with anyone who meets him um, just really enjoys his company he's very bright very godly even at this age and um, yeah I'm a very proud mama of that one definitely
0: we will talk a little bit more about him
1: yes, and the story around him. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about
0: some of your favorite things. Yeah. So what's your favorite thing at the moment? Oh, gosh.
1: My favorite thing. Um, there's so many. <laughs> List them. List them all. Um, well, I do love candles. Um, we were just talking about this before. Do you have a favorite brand of candle? I, I do like um, dust candles. Um, I do. I oftentimes don't like the price tag, but I love dust candles. Um, And, yeah, there's a particular one that I think I mentioned in the last favourite magazine, um, which is just beautiful. Um, But, yeah, I I love – because I'm a real fragrance person, so I love scents, so oils, essential oils and candles and um, anything that makes the place smell beautiful and and gives me peace of mind, um, I do like. Um, what are my other favorite things? Gosh, I have no idea. Do you have a I favorite... love spaces. I have favorite yeah. spaces. Yeah. Um, I love being outside in our new house and our garden. We've got a little veggie garden in this house and fruit trees. So I love just taking my shoes off and feeling the ground, you know, just being a bit grounded and getting out into the fresh air and watering my plants. And I do love that, um, being outside. So yeah. Do you have a favourite book? A favourite book, yes. Um, It's probably, I guess it's a book that I go back to because it impacted me from a young age, but um, it would be Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. It's a fiction and I first read it when I was young, so very, very early 20s. And um, it's a beautiful story um, which it's sort of um, a fictional take on the life of Hosea and how God called him to marry a harlot um, and bring her home and, and keep bringing her home and loving her. and And that was really his challenge. And so this book has a take on that about this man who God tells him to marry this particular prostitute and she doesn't want to be married to him and she constantly runs away from him and hurts him and tries to keep going back into her trade and is so broken and so lost and lonely and doesn't know how to love. But he just continually shows the love of Jesus to her and talks to her about God and how much he loves her and and how much he as a husband will always come after her and and keep her. And the whole story is, yeah, it really impacted me because I saw through the eyes of Jesus in that book, that even in my own life, the constant wandering and walking away or neglecting that relationship with him and choosing other things over him, that time after time after time, he would keep coming back and keep investing and keep loving and keep going the extra mile. So, yeah, I, I definitely have come back to that book several times um over my life just reading it again with fresh eyes and there's always just some kind of fresh revelation in it so it's a full-on book yeah have yeah. you read it yeah yeah it's beautiful. my
0: mom was a massive Francine Rivers fan yeah so she had a few of them and then I remember there was one that was a trilogy yeah and they were all like these massive books and yeah. um yeah I was just I, I remember I read it in high school yeah. and I still remember just yeah. crying even though I had no concept of, yeah. like, God, as much as I do now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your favourite way to wind down?
1: Favourite way to wind down? Um, honestly, it's probably away from the TV. Yeah. So getting outside, sitting on our back patio, lighting a candle, having a chat with Mike having cheese and crackers, just anything that, yeah, I can really unplug. I make my phone disappear. And um, I, I'm i a real, like I love quality time. So being able to sit down and just hang out and talk is, that's definitely major wind down, chill out time for me. And I feel energised and refreshed by that. So, and doing that with friends as well, like mm. staying you know staying out late and having good chats and laughs like that's very um energizing for me so yeah do you have a favorite kind of cheese oh favorite cheese far out there's so many i do love a good triple cream mm. brie um that's always very yummy but mm. even a good cheddar mm. i go for that yeah. gouda eat them oh All the no cheeses. nothing blue <laughs> nothing blue though nothing with mold growing in it sorry i can't can't that's go fair. there <laughs> Would you describe yourself as an introvert or an extrovert? I, yeah, probably both, a little of both. An ambivert. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's definitely, yeah, it's hard to kind of put yourself in one or the other because I, I think you're always different depending on the situation. So I can be a lot more extroverted in some situations, but others definitely find myself needing a bit of alone time or just quiet time, you know. But I think in church life you have to be a bit of both. I don't think you really have a choice. Um, you've got to, yeah, sort of be a bit more extroverted. So, yeah, I'm definitely a good mix of both, I'd say. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about your
0: Christian upbringing. Mm. So church and God was a reality for you from a young age. Yep. Did you have a moment where you actually discovered God for yourself?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, so I... Was baptised at 11 because my younger sister, two years younger than me, wanted to get baptised. And I thought, hang on a minute, I'm the oldest in this family. I should be getting baptised as well. So it wasn't because I had this, you know, understanding of what it was. It was more of a competitive thing. Like if she's doing it, I've got to do it. So my revelation and understanding of it all came much later, Um, probably I was, I mean, very close to the Lord in my teen years and I went through Bible college. So I found God in in different ways through all of that and I spent time with him a lot and I journaled and I prayed a lot and I worshipped and I used to write songs and, you know, so I loved the Lord in my own little teenage way. Um, But I'd say God didn't become real for me until my twenties, um, probably my mid to late twenties where I, I, I got down to the, the real foundation of my faith and what I really believed. And then I didn't have a solid foundation as I thought I did, um, that it was, it was a bit more superficial than I probably thought. So my world was definitely rocked through my twenties with a lot of different things. Um, And I, I, I had to really rebuild myself, I guess, rebuild a relationship with the Lord. So I had a lot of, alone time with God and I call it carpet time now I still have carpet time where it it just feels like the only place I can be right now is on the carpet with a box of tissues do you (laughs) lay on the carpet oh yeah I'll lay on the carpet I'll be face first on the carpet I'll sit on the carpet I mean it just yeah sometimes you just have to get low you just got to get low with the Lord And I think maybe it's put that on a (laughs) t-shirt. Just get (laughs) low low with with the Lord. (laughs) Um, I think it's a lot about the posture of your heart. Sometimes, Um, just taking that real deliberate decision to humble yourself. And I find that, yeah, when I when I do have carpet time, um, is often when the Lord speaks to me the the loudest. You grew up in church. Yes. You met
0: Mike when you were eighteen. Yes. I ask everyone I interview this because Mm. I'm really interested in the diversity of the answers I get. Right.
1: But how did you know he was it? I Okay, it sounds really cheesy and every time I tell it, people just think, oh, come on, you're being a bit dramatic. But I remember as though it was yesterday, standing in our college room where we used to have Morning Chapel and I watched him walk across the bridge to the building And up until this point, he was just another, another guy. I mean, I knew of him in high school because we went to the same high school. So I finished off the last year and a half of high school um, at his same school. I knew of him, but I didn't like him in high school, you know, and he was in youth ministry and running the worship team for youth. And so I knew of him, but Bible college, I really, I started to watch him a bit more and I saw a lot of this character come out and I remember standing there that day watching him walk across the bridge and we'd barely had a conversation up to this point. But I thought it and then I said it out loud. Hopefully no one was around. I'm sure there probably were people around. But I said to myself, I'm going to marry that man. And it was almost like I just had this divine moment where I didn't know much about him I was young. I was 18, you know, like those are pretty intense feelings for an 18 year old. But I just, it, God was on that moment right there. And I made almost like a prophetic declaration, I'm going to marry that man. And then it all kind of unfolded after that point. And it was very different for Mike, you know, he was totally unaware of that revelation I had, he just got to know me as a person. And, you know, we liked each other, we used to write love notes to each other. And pass them to each other through the college break you know it was very cute that's very cute, very cute. and yeah. I still have those love notes they sit in a little Aww. wooden box on our bookshelf Beautiful. um they're very they're very full of um spiritual angst and and intense teenage emotions so it makes me laugh but even back then we were so determined that our relationship and our marriage was going to be godly and that we would put the lord first and do amazing things for him so yeah, I knew, and then um, he caught up pretty quickly. He knew that he liked me. So, um, but he he'd made a commitment through college that he wasn't going to date, which was extremely frustrating for me because I didn't make that commitment. <laughs> so um, we had to wait for him to graduate. So he was the year ahead of me. So on his graduation night, he officially asked me to be his girlfriend. And we dated through my final year of college and then we were married six months out of college for me. So, um, yeah, it was just we, we knew like we knew and we didn't want to waste any time. You know, we just thought, let's do it. Let's get married. So so to give context,
0: I ask everyone to fill out a little thing um, before we sit down on the couch. And I wanted to ask you about your journey with anxiety and mm. depression. yeah. And whether or not that links into, I guess, the biggest story yeah. um, that I ended up writing about in favorite magazine, yeah, which was about your journey with infertility, yes so start, start with the anxiety for me where yeah. Where did that start for you?
1: Yeah, right. so that um, that was probably rooted in um, a lot of performance anxiety that I kind of took on so being part of church being in church ministry and growing up in that can sometimes be uh it can bring out the best in you but it can bring out the worst as well and it can really show your motivation and whether or not it's in the right spot so for me I was very because I'm a I'm the eldest child so I I follow all the rules, I like to please people, I don't like to do the wrong thing. So I grew up in church ministry very much wanting to please all of my leaders and wanting to do the right thing, wanting to be what they thought that I should be and you know the gifting that they thought that I had on my life. I wanted to measure up to that, I didn't want to be a failure and then being the eldest child you have this inbuilt desire to hold everything together, to be the mature one and uh, to be the leader. And people had said, Jess, you have a leadership gifting on your life. But as a, a young teenager, I wanted to run the opposite way. I thought, I don't want to lead anybody. You know, I, I just want to be a background person. Like, that's not me. So I, I struggled with this idea of I'm the eldest child. Eldest children are normally natural born leaders And people are telling me I have a leadership gifting on my life, but I just feel like I want to run and hide. Um, And people had said to me, you have such an amazing gift of leading worship, Jess. And I, you know, I was on the worship team and singing and, and leading worship in my own little way. And I guess I just couldn't reconcile how I was feeling with what people were saying about me and speaking over my life. And so... I thought, okay, I have to measure up to that. I can't disappoint people. I need to rise to the occasion because maybe if I don't, they'll write me off and I'll I'll never be seen again, you know? So through my teenage years and really those impressionable years where you listen to what people say about you and especially if you have a mentor or people that speak into your life, uh, you take on board everything, you know? And so I... I developed this understanding about myself that was in conflict with who I really was. Wow. And so then I was competing with myself and competing with this version of myself. And so I, I knew deep down, I didn't feel comfortable doing a lot of these things that people wanted me to do, but that's what you do in church. If you're not growing, you're going nowhere, you know? So maybe all these feelings I had, I thought maybe this is just my growth point and I have to grow and and stretch and be a bigger person. And so all the while, um, and I've learned this now, it's actually, you know, a a psychological thing. When When you're at war with who you really are on the inside, it's a breeding ground for anxiety. So I started having these feelings of fear and panic. Like I'd be in a situation in a room, in a church service, in a meeting or something. And I just, I had an overwhelming feeling like I needed to run. I didn't want to be there anymore, I wanted to shut down and just hide and I thought maybe this is um, not not God, (laughs) maybe this is the enemy and I have to fight this off and you know I I need to be stronger than this and I need to stay but I and you know this is now moving into my, my 20s and I was married to Mike and he's heavily involved in church life as well but I would just find myself saying to him I can't I can't stay in church right now. I'm going to go wait in the car. So just this um, anxiety that I couldn't pinpoint to one thing, you know, it wasn't like someone was asking me to do something that I felt uncomfortable doing or that I was stressing about anything in particular. It was just this, I always felt like I never measured up. And Um, I would be, you know, in a room full of people looking around for someone to talk to. And because I wasn't confident in myself, if I had no one to talk to, it was just that would trigger an anxiety attack internally. And so I I began feeling like a failure, you know, and I I wasn't hearing from the Lord about it. And I knew that it wasn't right, but I didn't have the tools to deal with it. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to talk to. And anyone that I did talk to had just said, you know, they'd quote things at me, which are true, but not helpful. Like God hasn't given you a spirit of of fear and timidity, but of strength and power. And, you know, you can rise up against this. You don't need to listen to this. This isn't who you are. So, again, constantly feeding that war within me to listen to what I'm really feeling or listen to what other people are saying I should be listening to. So I I um started having panic attacks. It was actually manifesting where I'd I'd be doing something or something would happen, I'd have a conversation that I was really not satisfied with, um or I'd I'd hear bad news, like someone would tell me something that I, you know, I wasn't expecting or and I would have a panic attack. So I'd just start freaking out and crying uncontrollably and my heart would be racing and I would be shaking and um, just this immense fear, like a, a panic response and I didn't know what it was. I, I knew I had all these emotions inside me that felt like they were escaping in that moment and Mike was incredibly supportive through all of it. He didn't know how to deal with it though. He didn't know what was happening to his wife um, and so he would just hold me in those times and tell me to breathe, you know, because I would hyperventilate. He would say, Breathe, Jess, just breathe. Like, it's okay. You're going to be okay. And he would hold on to me until I passed through it. And then there would be this surge of shame, you know, like I gave in again. And why am I not stronger than this? How can I not beat this? And again, just feeding that flame. And it started. Sort of plummeting into depression, where I, I just felt hopeless all the time, and I didn't feel comfortable, and I didn't feel supported, and I, um, you know, depression in itself, like it's not something that you can break out of yourself. It's not something that you can um, objectively tear yourself away from yourself and say, "Come on, get it together. You're better than this." When depression comes into your life. It's, I mean it's a spiritual thing, a deeply spiritual. And I knew that I was I had a lot of resistance from the enemy realm. I knew all of that, but I couldn't pull myself out of it. I couldn't talk myself out of depression. So I saw doctors and I said, you know, I, I feel awful all the time. I'm tired, I cry at nothing. I just i um, you know, I feel awful. And they would take me through the standard questionnaires to determine where I was on the scale and whether I was having thoughts of suicide or self-harm or anything. And and I, I said, you know, I, I don't think I am having those thoughts, but I definitely think about just sleeping for days and wishing I could wake up and it would all be over and all be fixed. So they would recommend, you know, prescription drugs to help, which I was always against, you know, I, I didn't. I didn't want to cope that way or seeing a psychologist, which I ended up doing several times and, and, you know, it flowed through every area of my life. Then it was, um, you know, at work, I just, I didn't feel right either. And I, there was no place where I felt truly myself. You know, I I always felt like I needed to be someone else. So, um, and through all of this, we were trying to fall pregnant. (laughs) So, um, you know, when you when you add that, the inability to fall pregnant and negative pregnancy tests month after month after month, it just mounts. And I sought all the wrong advice from different people about how to handle it. And in the end, I came to this conclusion, which um, was the voice of the enemy, and I chose to listen to that. But I came to this conclusion that, everything I was feeling, my anxiety with church and ministry and being a Christian and trying to measure up, surely none of that could be good if this is how it makes me feel. Maybe I'm at war with myself because Christianity isn't actually the way. Maybe I'm trying to be a person that I'm not supposed to be. And so I had this thought pattern of, have I been fooled my whole life? And being a Christian is actually causing me more issues. And then I had certain people that I listened to confirm all of that. And so that gave me all the reason I needed to walk away from God and church. I said, you know what? I don't need this. Uh, I don't need to come to church every Sunday and struggle with panic attacks. I'm walking away. And so I, I walked away from God and I said, if this is what life is like to be in relationship with you, to not be able to fall pregnant, to be depressed, to have anxiety, to feel panic all the time, to never feel fulfilled. If this is what it's like to be in a relationship with you, I don't want it. And so I walked away. And it's funny because as soon as I made that decision, I felt within me a huge weight lift off my shoulders. And I thought, I never have to go back into that, that place ever again. I need I never need to feel this way ever again. So then I started looking for what is it now that I fill my life with? What do I believe? You know, how am I going to be happy? And it was just a journey of self-fulfillment and exploring everything the world had for me because I'd never done that. I'd never looked around for myself at what else was out there. What else can you believe in? Like what else can you do? I'm an adult. Like I can do whatever I want. I can go wherever I want, you know, and doing it as a married woman, which is very interesting, Um, rebelling and going mad as a married woman. And my credit to him was the most faithful husband through that whole time. And it was incredibly hard for him. But he said to me, I release you. You have to do whatever you have to do. Wow. This This is your life and I love you. And I'm not going anywhere and we're married, but I can't I can't hold you in any longer. So... Did he keep going to church? Yeah, yeah. Wow. He did. He, he stayed the course. He stepped back from ministry though because he sure. felt like he just, he wasn't in a place. I mean, half of him was missing. And so I think he knew, I can't through this season, I can't do that. But he still showed up and um, he would still text people and get them praying for me because when you walk away from God and especially when you struggle with anxiety and depression, your life is already an open door to things. When you walk away from God, you fling the door wide open to a lot more torment than you ever felt before. And I was definitely tormented several times. And, uh, you know, I would see things or I would, you know, we lived... This is very deep but we we lived on a apartment in an apartment that was up a level. And so it was on a main road and I remember having times where I was sitting on my bed just in so much darkness and not knowing where it came from but feeling like I was being told you should just walk out onto that road and see what happens. And this curiosity, you know, I, I would be in the kitchen and I would be thinking things like, I wonder what would happen if I just grab that knife right now. And I knew that it was demonic and I knew that I was being pulled in a direction that I shouldn't go. But I didn't know how to get out of it. So I remember having times where I would just be screaming at Mike and hurling insults at him because I didn't know why he'd stayed with me and I would tried to push him away. And he stayed faithful. And I remember him just madly texting and calling everyone he could, saying, pray for Jess right now. She's battling something. I'm looking at her and behind her eyes is nothing. That's not my wife. So he just, he rallied everyone together to pray or to be available to come and see me or, you know, he was just incredible through that whole season. And he um you know god strengthened him i believe through all of that and a few years into this destructive path we'd spent a little bit of time apart as well because i you know and that was i initiated that because i um i didn't think that we fit together anymore and i said could you honestly stay married to me if this is now who i am and he he wasn't sure you know because that's not the woman that he married and chose so I said, I think maybe we need to spend some time away from each other, and it was it was torment for me seeing him walk out. I felt instant relief, but then everything that was sort of security for me left. How how
0: long into your relationship did that happen?
1: Uh, we would have been married about five years. Wow! By that point, yeah. And then how so long? did you stay apart we we lived separately for only a week um which is all i could handle in the Mm. end i was calling him and begging him to come home and he wasn't sure if that was the right thing he wanted to save the marriage he didn't want to split um but he again was navigating this for the very first time as well and he didn't know what was right and what was wrong and i said no i think I actually think, um, us being a part is doing more harm than good, which mm. no duh, of course it would. <laughs> um, so I, I need you to come home mm. and he did and, and we began rebuilding, but it wasn't until I sometime later, I, I had this moment, funnily enough, I was talking to the very person that was, um, all those years ago encouraged me to walk away from God. I was having a conversation with the same person who had since then found God <laughs> and had said to me, you know, when we were talking about this whole, you know, why did you do that? Because, I mean, I'm I'm a spiritual person. And when you have that seed of spirituality in you, you need to fill that. You'll find something else to fill it. So I was looking into Buddhism and all kinds of other beliefs, thinking maybe this is the way And I was talking to this person about that. And I said, well, you know, how did this happen for you? Like you went from just an awful, awful life away from God to now all of a sudden loving God and serving Him. Like how, what happened? And he said, I just had this moment where I thought, what am I doing with my life? And it was in those words when he said that, that something broke inside me. And I realized that was the voice of the Lord and I asked myself the same question, what am I doing? And I, I felt like scales fall off my eyes, you know, like all of a sudden I, I could actually see what was going on. I could see the madness and I knew there's a seed in me that can't be trampled out. And that is honestly through the years has been my encouragement to people that have seen people walk away from God that their seed cannot be trampled out it's there and it needs watering that's really it and it will it will flourish again it will grow again and so i in that moment everything just was open to me and i realized i'd made a terrible mistake everything that i'd done i'd i'd wasted so much time and i cried and repented and it was incredibly releasing and I got rid of all the books I had on Buddhism that were next to my bed. You know, I just went, This is this is ridiculous. I can't believe I fell for this and began the journey back to God. And I I gave my life back to Him. Probably that would have actually been the very first time I I made a commitment, you know. I watch people make commitments in church. They put their hands up and they accept salvation. And growing up, I'd never actually done that, you know, but I had this opportunity in my mid twenties to choose God. And I put my hand up in our church service against everything I was thinking and feeling going, this is ridiculous. I can't believe I'm, I'm putting my hand up for salvation, but I did. And I said the sinner's prayer and I gave my, my life back to the Lord. Mm. And, but anxiety it's it's definitely because you know when you develop it as a habit in your life Mm. it's it's something that even though the spiritual power of it is broken that practical outworking of it in your body you have to work to Mm. to not choose that path anymore you know there's pathways that happen in your brain and response systems that you get so used to you defer to so it's been a process over years of learning not to rely on that and when I feel that it's like a, a huge highlighter. Like something's wrong in my life. I need to fix it because I'm at war with myself and I know who I really am. So whatever is at war with that needs to go, needs to stop. So When,
0: when all of this is happening, mm. you know, you're walking away from the church, it's affecting your marriage. Did you tell anyone what was going on? I mean, you guys were living, I, I think sometimes... Going through stuff like this mm. in in front of a church and in a community where people know you and mm. people have some kind of perception of who you are, mm. that you know it's really hard to hide yeah. that kind of breakdown. Yeah. Did you tell anyone? Did anyone actually know
1: what was going on with you and with you and Mike? There were um, some people that knew. Um, the main the main person that knew the majority of it was also battling panic and anxiety in their own life while doing ministry and so I I felt some kind of sympathy like okay someone else understands this but I didn't feel like I had the tools given to me to know how to cope with it so I started to wonder whether it was actually a natural normal part of church ministry and high level leadership that you just walk around with anxiety all the time you know so again it didn't quite help and I think because I spiraled downwards so spectacularly and um, pushed a lot of people out of my life, and because of the things that we had been doing and how invested we were in church, I think the majority of people didn't know what to do. They kind of stood back in shock, going, "I don't know what's going on with Jess, but she's gone really weird. <laughs> she's gone. She's gone dark. you know, she's not communicating. she's cutting us off, like we don't know what to do. And um, and I, I don't blame people because it is really hard to know what to do and to know what what is really going on. Being on the other side of it, what do you think people should do?
0: Like it's, yeah. it's a, I think it's ignorant to think that people aren't experiencing that right Yeah, now. right. Yeah. Like what's the right response?
1: Yeah, it's really tricky because for the person going through it, for me at the time, nothing anybody would have said or done would have helped. In fact, it probably made it worse. People reaching out to me or trying to have coffee with me or saying that they were going to pray for me. or it, I just pushed that away so much. Um, and you, I guess you feel quite emotionally blocked in all of that as well. And it just feels like another thing that's not going to work. Um, and people, well-intentioned people, is, um, it's not always accepted by the person going through it so it's it's like a catch-22 you need support but you won't accept it at the same time so i think um for people who see others around them going through this loved ones or people in ministry and they can see the warning signs that these people aren't coping checking in with them is definitely um that's a must what are the warning signs well, I mean, for me, like, and I can see it in other people. They, you start withdrawing from things. Um, you don't enjoy the same things that you once enjoyed. People that come late or leave early that mm. used to always be really invested or show up to things, um, they might stop coming all together. This is in church context, you know. Mm. Um, and you know, I can, I can see it in people's eyes and in, in the way that they talk in their language. Um, if you just see that they're becoming a bit of a shadow of the person they used yeah. to be, it's, that's, that's a warning, you know, because it, it could just be that they're going through a tough time mm. and they're not, they're not themselves or it could be the beginning of something a bit bigger. Mm. But checking in with people is always... I mean, we should be doing that. We're a family, you know, and so checking in and praying for people, just praying for them, not even announcing, I'm praying for you or can I pray for you right now? Because for someone going through that, having, having someone sit with you and pray with you can be a little confronting and not always, you don't always hear it. But if you have an army of people praying for you and not just praying for you once or twice, but contending for your life and for your heart and really going to battle, for you um, you don't actually see what's happening but in the spirit there's a war for your soul Mm -hmm. and I had an army of people my my family especially that went to war for me constantly and didn't advertise it didn't say anything about it not until I came through it all that they said you know we prayed for this day or we spoke this prophetically over you and now here it is happening in the flesh So I think actually taking seriously that role that we have as as believers and as family members to go to war for people, Mm. for their minds, for their soul. um, Because, yeah, there's a very real enemy that's Mm. assigned. You know, there's different things assigned to people and breaking those assignments on behalf of them is often what needs to happen. Those people that can't do it themselves. It's up to us to go to battle for them. So mm. that would be the most effective way, I think. There's, You know, you can support people with catch-ups or meals or whatever, but oftentimes it just, that just falls on deaf ears. So prayer. I think, and I think sometimes when you haven't had
0: experience with mental health issues, mm. it can be really scary Yeah. to talk to someone who, is saying I have depression I have anxiety I have thoughts about walking out you know on the road and like that that's incredibly confronting for people it is and I think like do you think that we should be talking about that kind of stuff and normalizing it is there a way to have that kind of conversation with someone
1: yeah I mean I think The hardest part about it is for people who don't understand. Please excuse this really loud dog in the background. Yes. Just adding his opinion. Yes. Um, (laughs) For people who don't understand mental health issues or haven't seen people go through it, um, it's very easy to think that it can be something that's just fixed by... um, self-will yeah. or by getting your mind in the right spot Yeah, like you're just sad yeah yeah <laughs> and it is yeah you know trust me people who are struggling with depression and anxiety already think come on just get it together yeah. you've got to get on top of this you can't break down anymore and it's a war within yourself mm. so it's not actually an issue of come on you got to believe what god says about you you got to speak these scriptures over your life every day you've got to ignore those feelings of anxiety when they come and don't allow yourself to have a panic attack Um, you know all of these things that are good habits but is really hard to implement when you're right in the middle of it so I think just having an understanding that it's not an issue of self-will it's a spiritual attack and people mental health in particular is not all that visible You know, Mm. like when you're struggling with some other kind of health issue, there might be a lot more understanding about why you're not at certain events or why you get Mm. tired all the time or why you don't respond very well or why you're a bit snappy, you know. Um, It gets excused a bit, but mental health issues is really grey and um, because when you're suffering with depression, you become so incredibly selfish. It's you're self-absorbed because you go into protective mode and everything is about you and it's an attack against you and it's how you're feeling you can't see other people you can't see outside of yourself so people struggling with that do come across as self-absorbed and woe is me and um and so I think that's probably why people struggle to help and identify people in that situation um, because it's 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 a vortex, it just sucks you into it. So that's why I say prayer is probably the most effective thing. And I, I think probably more than speaking about these issues is having a commitment to preventing them in the first place and creating a culture where these things don't actually thrive and they're brought to light or they're addressed um, and taking care of people so that, It's not a breeding ground for anxiety. That's probably more important, I'd say.
0: Mm. Well, we're sending out an invite to all the girls to join us for FAVOR Conference 2019, Friday the 26th, Saturday the 27th of July in Brisbane,
1: It's always beautiful in winter, and we're gonna get positioned for an incredible time in God. We've really themed over this conference. It's called, Let It Be. We want God's word to actually come to pass. Just like Mary said, let it be done to me as you have said, Lord. That's the cry of our heart. And we're inviting Pastor Esther Greenwood from Equippers Church New Zealand. She's gonna be with us. It's gonna be incredible. So pop it in your diary now. You don't want to miss out.
0: So in the season, You and Mike were also trying to get pregnant. Yeah. And I think I remember from our last conversation, it was like seven years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: Seven years. So
0: talk me through that. At what point did you start trying? And at Mm. what point did
1: you figure out that something was wrong? Mm. So we decided three years into our marriage that we were ready for the next thing. You know, we were so young, but because we got married so young, you sort of advanced through those levels a bit quicker. Yeah. So three years in and we decided, yeah, we're, we want to start a family, you know. We had no reason to think that it would be any issue at all because our families, you know, we all had big, strong, healthy families and... Um, being so young too you're not really exposed to those kinds of issues anyway in the world that <laughs> there's issues of infertility out there like I never would have thought about that I barely even knew how to get pregnant you know in in the crudest way possible I I didn't know it was so mysterious falling pregnant and I thought it must have been so easy because everyone falls pregnant and teenagers can make a bad decision and fall pregnant you know so, so I, I didn't realize yeah. it's actually quite difficult to fall pregnant. It's a miracle. It really is a miracle. So we asked our pastors to pray for us. We told our families that we were going to start trying and we wanted their blessing and, and they prayed for us. And, and we started trying and a few months in and I thought, oh, I'm not pregnant yet. You know, this is weird. And, but doctors wouldn't take us seriously because of our age and how, how soon it had been. Mm since we decided, um, they said, look, now just keep going, just keep trying. You're young, you've got plenty of time, don't worry about it. So um, we kept trying for a year and a year, 12 months, was when the doctors had said, if it hasn't happened for you by then, even a, a pregnancy with a miscarriage, you know, if nothing has happened in 12 months, come back and we might start thinking about tests. So we did that waited 12 months, nothing happened, a lot of frustration in all of that and worry, um, worry that something was wrong. I think that was really when I thought, oh, okay, what if we can't have children? And this is really the only thing I've ever wanted to do is be a mum. You know, since I was 12 years old and I knew that I was going to be able to be a mum, I was so overwhelmed with that idea and I couldn't wait. So... We started having, well, I started to have some tests done and they did ultrasounds and blood tests and all the standard things. And the doctor came back and said, oh, yeah, well, you do have um, some cysts growing on your ovaries, which is not normal, but it does happen. It's called polycystic ovarian syndrome, which back then um, my doctor knew nothing about and she was actually online Googling it in our in our session saying, I don't really, you know, there's not really a lot in the medical journals or, or, you know, our writings about this kind of stuff. So I'm just going to print off some fact sheets for you and, but keep trying, you know, it's not a, it's not the end of the world. It'll just be a bit harder for you to fall pregnant, but it's still possible. So I came away from that feeling like someone had just shot me. You know, I was so devastated that there was going to be a, a barrier or a problem and I felt really, um, probably a bit let down by the Lord, you know, um, cause I had this really immature understanding that if you did all the good things for God, he would do all the good things for you, you know? And it was like a, hang on a minute. It a 50, 50 thing. Like I'm serving you and I'm a great Christian and I'm involved in church, you know, why aren't you allowing me to have a baby? So, um, <laughs> It's just funny to think how I, how I coped with it all. But we um, we kept trying, and it would have been another couple of years, and we'd gone through seasons of taking it seriously, and then not, because it was just so frustrating, and I couldn't be bothered trying to keep up with it all anymore. So, and I I wanted to be in control as well, so um, we reached out to different people online that were struggling with it when I say we I mean me Mike um Mike was yeah (laughs) um he he probably didn't heartache over it as much as I did you know so I reached out to people I was seeing different doctors and just trying different things thinking that you know if I did this this and this it's gonna happen you know and we um we probably got yeah I don't know maybe four or so years into that and there'd been talk of IVF Uh, one of the doctors that we had seen had done some tests on both of us and it was the first time that we actually knew there were issues on both sides and it was going to be quite unlikely that we would fall pregnant naturally and this doctor who was an IVF doctor um, said you just book in for IVF you know it'll be no problem IVF and back then I mean it's tens of thousands of dollars back then and it just felt so drastic to us we thought oh you know no like we can't we can't do it that way like it's got to happen naturally and um, but it was very debilitating to hear that and he'd said to us you will probably have a lot of trouble falling pregnant together separately. It might not have been an issue, but because you both have problems, you know, it's not going to happen. IVF is probably your only way. So I left that just feeling like my hands were tied, you know, and I, I didn't know what to do. I powered down after that. I just, I had no motivation, no energy. I had no faith for it either. I didn't There was nothing built in me at that time to know how to cope with that and to know how to tackle that. Those foundations were not built in me. So that real grunt and that ability to fight and tackle something head on in faith and in prayer, I didn't have that. So I fell apart and we um, yeah, still move through seasons of trying, not trying, Um, not really caring, giving up, being angry, um, all sorts of madness and then struggling with walking away from the Lord as well and knowing that, okay, well, maybe I'm never going to have a child, maybe this is it now and feeling so abandoned by God but giving my heart back to him and rebuilding my life I came to a point where I could say to God, this is what I want more than anything else. I want to have a child. I feel like I'm a mother without a child. You know, mm. I, I yearn so much to hold my own child and watching my friends and my family around me have children and holding on to those babies and feeling so much love and joy in that moment but then coming home and falling apart because my arms were empty year after year after year after year and not knowing whether I was ever going to have a child. And I moved through all of that and I said, God, I, I let go of this. I let go. I don't want control anymore because I can't conceive a baby on my own. I can't make this happen. No matter how much I try or what we try, it's not going to happen. This is your business. So I, I am not giving up, but I'm letting go. And you have to step in if you want us to have a child. You have to step in. And I felt a lot of release in that moment. And I knew that could be it for me. That could be it. And there would be no child in my life. And I would learn to accept that. And I would grow in my relationship with the Lord. I knew all of that. And I just, wanted to, I just wanted to be happy. I spent so long being upset and sad and staring at negative pregnancy tests and falling apart that it had stolen all of my 20s, you know, of just so much sadness. And I wanted to walk away from that. And it wouldn't have been very long after that. We'd actually, sorry, once we'd decided, you know, I, we're letting go of this, um, we said, look, let's just start putting away some money for IVF. And even if it takes us years, you know, to save enough, we'll just do bit by bit and it'll happen eventually. So we kind of resigned ourselves to that. And not long after that, we I had a phone call from someone who was talking to me about it all and they knew our journey and what we'd been going through. and And they said, okay, well if money wasn't an issue for you right now, would you actually do IVF? And I said, yes, I, we would, definitely. We have a piece about it and, it, you know, we would do it. And they said, okay, well, we'll take care of it for you then and paid for every expense, paid for all the trips to the clinic that we'd picked and accommodation and, and we didn't have to really pay anything out of pocket. And you know we knew this is the Lord, this is God, and I, you know, I made the decision in my heart that I had a certain amount of rounds of IVF that I would put myself through, and if it didn't happen, that that was that was final. You know, that was my confirmation, I suppose, that it wasn't going to happen. But I still had this feeling. Even though I can put myself through it this many times, I feel like I'm only ever going to have to do this once. So we were just over the moon thinking, oh, I can't believe this is going to happen now. Like we thought this was never going to happen and now we're, we're doing IVF in a few months. And we started getting ourselves ready for that. And I remember the first appointment that we had with our doctor was a Skype appointment because the clinic was in Sydney. And he was so casual and friendly and nonchalant about it, the whole thing. And he said, Jess, you'll be pregnant this time in three months. And just his confidence. He said, You've, we've got no issues here. The two of you are healthy. You're young. You just have a bit of trouble putting it together. You know, we'll, we'll put it together for you. We'll make this baby. You'll be pregnant. No dramas. And he filled me with so much confidence, cautious confidence um and so we we went to Sydney and um we just had so much peace about the whole situation you know the whole I expected it to be really clinical and depressing and uh just an awful experience but I I think I I went into it just with this attitude of no that's not going to be our experience that might have been others but god i need you to fill in all the gaps you know that this experience that there'll be gaps in this experience for us and i need you to fill all of that with your love and your peace and that we won't feel worse off for having done ivf and so many experiences you know of me being able to surprise mike saying i'm pregnant surprise my family we're pregnant you know all these like fantasies that you have they'd all been taken away from me I knew that wasn't going to happen so I said God you have to um I know you're going to work a miracle in this situation but I need you to somehow make it beautiful you know
0: as a Christian Mm. you you do really believe in biology yeah and you believe that you were created to do something and I imagine that IVF, and maybe not for you personally, but fathers, mm. there is a stigma yeah. around it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, I imagine it would be hard to come to that point where you have to acknowledge that mm. physically I can't do the thing that mm. I was supposed to be created to do. That's
1: exactly right. Yeah. Did you
0: struggle with that? Yeah. And then how did you get to that point where... You actually said to me, I think the first time that you, you acknowledged that God was in the IVF, like mm. that that was the way that your you mm. was going to be made. How did you get to a peaceful place with yeah. that?
1: Yeah, it's, it, it's exactly – I said that to myself in those exact words. You know, God, I'm a woman. You've designed me a woman. I'm not a mistake and the way that I'm made is not a mistake and it's not a surprise to you either um, but I can't do the very thing that I'm supposed to do as a woman. And that felt so uh, disappointing and violating to me. You know, I, I can't. It's like this gold star that I'll never be able to earn. You know, I just, I can't do that. And I think I, um, I, I came to a place and even now, you know, it's a deliberate decision that I have to make even now where I say, God, you knew me before I was even formed and you knit me together mm. and you designed me to be fruitful in every area of my life, not just in you know, having a child. I'm supposed to be fruitful. That is my commandment from you, to be fruitful and multiply. It's fundamental. It's built into me. And I will be fruitful and I will multiply in every area of my life and i prayed over my body and i still do this it's you deliberately have to pray over your body and speak life because when you go through a struggle with infertility and you have testing done and doctors that speak things over you
0: Mm.
1: um you unknowingly take on things about your body you believe things about your you know in this area your reproductive system that it's somehow broken and damaged and less lesser um i had to repent for all of that and repent for being angry at my body and and speaking death over my reproductive system instead of life and so then i i started speaking things over it and you know prophesying into my body and blessing my body in so many Mm. different ways and um i i couldn't get to that Place before IVF. I couldn't do that. And I um there's this scripture that I, I refer to a lot and I go back to a lot, but it's in Deuteronomy when the Israelites have just escaped from Egypt and they um, they could be they could face an enemy on their way to the promised land. That would, It would be like a shortcut, you know, they could get there quicker. But God knew you won't actually have the strength to fight this battle if you face them right now. So I'll take you around and when you're strong enough, you'll fight that enemy. And so I, I knew that through all of this, God had said, you don't have the strength within you right now to do these things and face these things. So I'm showing you a different way. I'm taking you another way. But one day you will be strong enough to fight these things and you will understand this and this will be a part of your faith journey. Mm -hmm. And so I think God in his grace and love and kindness just picked me up through all of that and said, baby girl, I know you don't know what you're doing right now and you don't have the faith for this, but I'm going to bless this. I'm going to bless you with this and I'm going to put this in your life and through all of this you will see you know you will see my glory and you'll see yourself in a different way mm. so yeah i i definitely i didn't have the strength to do all of that to to think of myself as a a fruitful flourishing person mm. um not until i came through all of this so so the actual
0: ivf process for you i remember you describing it as a really beautiful experience for you and mike yeah and I think you said to me that even the nurses kept commenting yeah. on how much peace there was between the two of you and yeah. the whole process. Yeah. How long did it take? Mm.
1: So we – it was a whirlwind, honestly, a whirlwind experience. Um, we, I was surprised at how quickly actually the whole thing happens. So I started hormone injections Um, And within 11 days, we were in Sydney from the point that I started them to when we were there um, for the, you know, the harvesting of my eggs. So that happened within 11 days. And then we waited around in Sydney for five days after they'd harvested what they needed from both of us. Um, We waited for five days for all those little embryos to develop and grow. And then they picked the, the strongest and the the best-looking one, <laughs> which is Reuben, <laughs> and um, implanted him. And so, yeah, it, I mean, it was it was just, I mean, inside a month from when it started to when we were back in Townsville and essentially pregnant. You know, it was just a very, very beautiful experience. And because I went into it with wide-eyed wonder mm. and expecting God to do a miracle mm. and expecting it to be beautiful – um, it brought us so much closer together where years ago I thought it would drive us apart. It actually bonded us together and we were able to see God work a miracle together, you know. And, and since then I just, I had these flashes, like these visions. Whenever I would think about Reuben or think about the process, I would just see Jesus in that room when they were making the embryos you know and and putting together my dna and mike's dna like they would do every day like so routine so you know they've got a a process that they follow it's quite clinical there's no emotion in it it's just science but i just had this vision of jesus you know those um like you can put your hands through those gloves in the like touch and yeah. feel boxes, yeah. you know, I just had this image of Jesus just putting his hands through their hands and through their gloves wow. and actually doing the work wow. that they were doing. And I just felt so much blessing on that, that he was in that process that he made our children and made Reuben and
0: mm. um,
1: it was just, yeah, it was a beautiful experience. Does
0: it hurt? Like it's mm. such I du- I don't know anything about IVF. No. Yeah. So you're taking hormone injections. Yes. Yeah. Do they hurt or are they just, yeah, they're well, pretty they're just, routine?
1: Yeah. They're just little pricks in your thigh or in your tummy. I took most of mine in my tummy. Okay. Um, and so, then the actual harvesting? Yeah. It's not, um, uh, Painful. It wasn't for me. It's uncomfortable. Okay. So for the harvesting, they give you a little bit of a cocktail to relax you a little bit. So um, I was awake, conscious through the whole thing, and I was able to watch what was happening on the monitor. So they have the the doctor who's harvesting the eggs, our fertility doctor. He had his ultras- um, ultrasound screen, but then there was also an LCD screen in front of me where I could watch it all happening as well. So it was uncomfortable because, um, yeah, they're, they're going in and, and taking out your eggs. Um, and the, the other end of it, um, implanting the embryo, that again is, they didn't give me anything for that. So that it's not really, it's not painful. It's just a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but I sat there and I watched the screen and they brought over the little, I think he was in a test tube. From memory. I can't remember if it was in a test tube or a petri dish. I think it was a test tube. They bought it over, and um I there was scientists against the wall, and they had this big glass case with the armholes in the front, and I watched them prepping the embryo, and they had it, they laid it out flat then and put it up on screen and said, That's your embryo. And I just looked at it in awe, thinking there is no other way that I could see my child in this. Like nobody ever sees this, you know. This is like, this is God's business. This mm. is how he sees things. And and I looked at that and I thought, that is my child. That's my baby. And then they prep it. They get it in the needle and the syringe and um, gave it to the doctor. And, and I watched on the ultrasound screen as the needle went through and I watched the, this little embryo just go out into this open space of my uterus and I was like there you go little one you're home and now you just got to find something to hold on to and stay there and so they said to us you know you're you've done so well through all of this you just you guys are not like the usual couple that would come in you're you're very peaceful and you're very calm they didn't quite have the words to describe it but they just knew it was not usual and um We were very thankful and thanked them all for being so kind and we left and they'd said to us on our way out they said well you're pregnant until proven otherwise and I said you know what I'm taking that that's prophetic and I'm gonna say that I'm pregnant till I'm proven otherwise and we went downstairs and had breakfast together after that and I sat there thinking there is a baby inside me right now you know what other couple can have that experience you know it was did you, magic. Did you feel fearful at any point in the time after and then flying home? Mm. I, I definitely had a gift of faith, I think, through that. Mm. Um, I, I was more so – I knew it was a possibility that it might not happen and I think my thought then was what will it be like on the other side of that when I find out that it hasn't worked? But at the same time, I thought, I just have faith for this and mm. I don't know why, but God would not have brought us this far mm. to let us down, you know. And I knew that he doesn't give you more than you could handle and I knew what I couldn't have handled at that moment. Mm. And I don't know, I just, I really believed that it was, It was. this was it. Mm. Um, it didn't come without ups and downs after that point though you know and doing IVF is it's not a walk in the park so you are putting a lot of um hormones into your body that you don't normally have to deal with so then I I had to deal with that afterwards and was in hospital for a bit and and little Reuben just hung on um but it was it was a very hard time because um yeah being in hospital and having to deal with the overreaction that my body then had
0: yeah so tell me about that yeah and then the moment where you actually had to do a test yeah yeah to see if you were pregnant yeah yeah
1: (laughs) so um the the fertility clinic had said to us because of your age Jess and because you have a history of cysts on your ovaries uh, which is caused by an irregularity in hormones um, these hormones that you'll have for IVF may mess with that a little bit so when you go home you may find that you have a bit of hyper stimulation and so your body just goes into overdrive then and you might start producing a lot of cysts it might be a bit painful and they said the good and the bad news is if you are pregnant the pregnancy hormone just is another it gets thrown in the mix and it just it'll be like chaos in your body. So your hormones are going to be going wild. So it'll get worse before it gets better. Oh, wow. So I they said, you know, just watch out for it. It probably won't happen. It's rare, but just in case, these are the signs, you know, you might feel a bit bloated, a um, bit tender, and you'll start feeling off. So I went back to work. I worked full-time, and I just started noticing each day that progressed. I was getting more and more uh, distension in my abdomen I was just it was tight and and sore and I didn't feel right and I had one the the last day where it sort of just everything broke for me I'd been on the phone to our fertility clinic and to Mike and I wasn't sure like, I don't know what to do do I go to hospital like this doesn't feel right and we were still waiting for our Final pregnancy test at that point because once they do the implantation, you wait two weeks before a blood test to confirm. So I was still in that waiting period and I just knew I've got to go to hospital. So Mike picked me up and we went to emergency, and they didn't quite know what to do. Like they don't really handle cases like that. Um, Usually you would go back to your fertility clinic if you have issues. So they admitted me um but before they admitted me they did a test because they said oh we just want to test for pregnancy to to rule that out and I you know my heart sank because I knew oh but it's so early and this is not going to come back positive um and sure enough it didn't it came back negative and they made us wait such a long time before telling us and they came back and said, well, okay, we've got your test back and no, you're not pregnant, so it's got nothing to do with that, so we're going to start blah, 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 blah. And my world just cracked in half. Mm. You know, I I just found out I wasn't pregnant and all these feelings just flooded back in like, of course you're not pregnant. That was the voice of the accuser. Just why would you think you were pregnant, Jess? You've never been pregnant before. It's always negative and you can't get pregnant, you know. And so I fell apart. I just sobbed and sobbed. And Mike said to me, we'll try again. And I said, I don't think I can do this again. You know, I don't think I have it in me. I thought I would, but I just can't. And we were very, very defeated. And so our families all knew um, that I was in hospital. And Mike started making phone calls saying it hasn't worked. She's not pregnant. So our families were just devastated and a few hours passed, still an emergency, and they came back and said, we might just run a blood test because we understand because of the situation a, a urine test might not have worked. So because you've done IVF and it's a bit of a, an individual case, we'll do a blood test. And I said, okay. I have this tiny little glimmer of hope. I thought if it comes back negative, that's as negative as it possibly can be, you know. So they did the blood test and waited a long time to tell us the results and it would have been another hour or so and they came back and said well good news you are pregnant and they said it's very 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 early um like at this stage I would have only been uh four weeks and a few days uh if that just bang on four weeks I think um so much earlier than you would ever really find out in a real situation um and but I just I couldn't celebrate but I was I was deep down happy in my bones like I just I was so relieved but I knew that there was a journey ahead so they admitted me and I ended up staying eight days and it was uh It was a lot of torment in hospital. I just I was in a lot of pain and I even had thoughts of wishing it was all over, you know, just wishing I could go home and my mum was very good through all that. She said, You've got one job right now, Jess, and that is to look after that baby inside you. Whatever you have to do, you do it. Whatever those doctors tell you to do, you do it. And she really rallied me to look outside of myself right now. She said, You're a mother. This is what it means to be a mother. You gotta do whatever you can so eight days in hospital they finally released me and I never I never looked back but the blessing of that was that I got to see Reuben when he was like five weeks old I mm. got to see him on ultrasound you know it was just
0: amazing it was beautiful mm. and they
1: they weren't even looking for him they were ultrasound like doing the ultrasound for the rest my ovaries just to check on them and I said do you think by any chance you could just flick over and show me the embryo, the the fetus. And they said, oh, it's probably a bit early. I don't know whether you'll see anything, but, you know, maybe we'll try. And so they had a good look around and found this little blob. And they said, well, that's it. That's your baby. Um, It was just beautiful. So. And so how was pregnancy for you after that? Oh, it was a breeze. (laughs) You know, so rocky start, yeah, rough God, start. Oh yeah, God does everything in balance. That's what I, yeah. I, I love about Him. He's, um, yeah, everything in balance. So my pregnancy was—it was just beautiful. It was a dream, yeah. you know. I had—I had sickness, whatever. Everyone has sickness, but I—I um, I think because I it was such a battle and such a journey to get there, I enjoyed every everything I could about it you know I just I loved being pregnant I really really did and it it has its you know it has its hard moments and you give up your body for a long time but I loved it I really did and his birth was just I mean he was almost bang on time he was we got to plan his birth which is just that was beautiful really beautiful and so um fitting you know his conception was planned and his birth was planned like it was um he came by c-section which was not my first choice but it ended up being the only way and but it was beautiful you know we got to go in I got to wake up and say I'm gonna have a baby today because we knew you know today is c-section day and we went to hospital calm we prayed we went in for the operation and it was just. The Lord was in the room, you know, he was in the room. And when they, it was over so quick. I honestly, I did not understand how quick a C-section can happen. But within 10 minutes of me being laid on the table, he was delivered and held up in front of me. And I, I just remember saying, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow, wow. Like I was so overcome mm. with what I saw and he was so tiny and so beautiful and they laid him on my chest right away and he peed all over me (laughs) which was just amazing and he laid there for a good half an hour and just snuggled on my chest and he was a dream honestly a dream baby and a dream child it just yeah such a miracle you say after walking through this, you've
0: been inducted into this weird Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. Describe
1: that for me. Yeah. What does that mean? It's, um, it's funny because when women who have been through infertility and long journeys of it especially, um, you know, years and years and years long, it's, it's like this understanding that you have because and especially women in God There's something that forms in you that can't be formed any other way, you know, and and we all have our battles, you know. If it wasn't infertility for me, it might have been something else, you know. Mm. People battle with health or financial problems or family. Like there's always a mountain that we have to learn to climb and that's the way of the Lord, you know. It's, It's not easy, but when women have gone through this sort of thing, is there's an understanding that you just have of each other and of what that what that's like, what goes on in your mind, what your prayer life is probably like, the things that you've said, or how much you've cried over it, the things that you've tried and done, and um, there's a real respect, I think, because when you when you're talking about a woman's fertility, I mean, like you said before, it's fundamental, it's how we're made, and The quickest way to destroy a woman is to mess with her ability to have a child, you know. Um, There's many ways that the enemy can bring us down. But I think when the most effective way I've seen is to prevent a woman from falling pregnant, to mess with that somehow. It breaks you in a way that nothing else really breaks you. So... You know, I, I knew a lot of broken women outside of God that couldn't conceive and they had no hope and they had no one to turn to or nothing to believe in. You know, it was, the world was over for them. But in God, seeing women who have struggled with this and especially come out the other side of it because I don't think you really fully appreciate the journey and see what it is that God's built in you until you're through it. Yeah. It's like you come out of the darkness And when you're going through it, you're in the trenches, like your head's down. You don't really think or focus on anything else that's going on. You can't see the light. You can't see past it. You're just in the battle going hard. But when you come through it and you have a child in your arms, you see what's been built. And I love being able to talk to other women or find out about other women who have battled it because it's like, I get you girl like I don't know the details of your journey but I can guess a lot of it you know um I get you and I have a lot of respect for you and I I appreciate what's been built in you so yeah how do we encourage or support women going through this Mm. that's a big one Prayer, definitely, um, just background prayer, like not, oh, can I pray for you right now? I want to lay my hands on you and prophesy life. Even though there's moments for that, if they're not God-appointed moments, it's, it's only, um, and I say this very delicately because I know there's women or people in church that are full of faith that want to pray for the fertility of other women, and especially if they know there's been issues there. As a believer, you want to do what God's called you to do and you want to pray for people and you want to believe that, you know, they're going to see a child and you want to see that broken off their life. But sometimes it does more harm than good if it's not a God-appointed moment. Um, As with anything, you know, people that battle long-term illnesses that have been prayed for by everyone, they've been to every healing meeting, they've heard every prophet they've been seeking God in every way that they can um it's just it's one of those things that you know you have to be so sensitive about it to not broadcast you know I want to pray for your fertility and pray that you're you know you're going to have a baby like you have to be quite sensitive so um praying for people just going to war for people going to war for those women without even them necessarily knowing it um it's good to talk about, you know, especially women who have had problems or, you know, have really battled it, to to be vocal about it. And um, also to just tackle this, it's really an epidemic of infertility in our generation, I feel. Yeah. You know, and I I see, I look at like our mother's generation that, yes, there was definitely infertility and women struggled to fall pregnant, but it's it's on the rise now it's just it's an outbreak of infertility and it used to be rare that you would talk to someone that had struggled for many many years to fall pregnant and now it's you know Mm. it feels like there's just so many more women and there was a statistic I remember uh, especially for polycystic ovarian syndrome which had risen even in the seven years that we were trying to you know it started one in five women and it ended up one in three women would be struggling with this and or struggling with infertility in some way. And I think you know what I um I've seen the enemy tamper with this generation in so many different ways but infertility and struggling to have children, like that's the next generation. And if this generation is unable to um create the next generation you know we don't have hope for the future and I think um tampering with with women living right now our generation of women tampering with their ability to fall pregnant um I mean it's the work of the enemy like we see that so I think encouraging women and um going to war for them praying for them supporting them and, you know, it's really hard to say we're just going to avoid saying certain things to women going through because it's, it's always going to happen. Like there's always going to be someone who says something awkward or says the wrong thing or is trying to be super encouraging, but it, it comes off wrong. It's, that's always going to happen. You can't, you can't stop that. And that's just a part of life. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that really answers the question, but... Thank you so much. I'm actually
0: like even as I was sitting here listening to you talk, I just I'm I'm actually just astounded again and again at the stories that people carry mm. inside them. Yeah, and absolutely. Stories of incredible darkness, but stories that point to mm. um a god who just surprises yeah us again and again and so thank you for your honesty and your willingness to talk about it and to be vocal Mm. and I think that this episode is not just going to encourage anyone who's ever struggled with mental Mm. health and infertility but anyone who just wants to make the kingdom better that's right yeah you know and make our church community better yeah um and thank you for sharing your story with me thank you for letting me ride it it was an incredible privilege and yeah Um, You can read all about it in (laughs) favourite magazine, shameless plug. Um, Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure.
1: It really is my pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Favourite Friends. If you'd like to read a bit more about Jess and some of the other amazing women who make up our wonderful church, you can in Favourite magazine. You can buy it online at our favourite store at www.icchurch.com or a local IC Church campus, and you'll find links to that in the episode description. While you're at it, why don't you sign up for Favourite Conference in July and know it'll be amazing. And hey, make sure you share this episode with someone else who needs it. I'll see you next time. Bye.